This week's episode is a first ever in the history of the Femcanic Garage podcast. I have invited a transgender man to share his story of transitioning from a signed female at birth to the man he was always meant to be. I know that I have always said this podcast is exclusively for women, and I stand by that with complete conviction. But I also believe there are some women out there that need to hear Dorian's story. Maybe you're a woman questioning your gender identity. Maybe you're a woman who is considering transitioning. You might be a woman who has a loved one who is or has transitioned and you want to educate yourself. More than anything, I invited Dorian because Femcanic Garage is an inclusive community. So if you are a transgender woman, you belong here too. Now let's get to the show. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries. A community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Hey ladies, it's time to put your badass boss babe hat on. Head over to femcanic.com's resource page and create your personal listing and your business listing if you have one of those too. No cost to you at all, just shameless self-promotion. Talent recruiters for jobs, radio, and TV gigs have leveraged this page to discover talent. Come on ladies. It's time to get your self-promotion on. Remember, femcanic.com, resource tab at the top, and click the Yes, I'm a Badass Woman. Dorian Tedder is in the driver's seat today. He is an automotive glass technician based out of New Mexico. He stumbled into the automotive industry while job searching. Five years after stumbling into the industry, he has grown to love what he does. One of his proudest career accomplishments is being selected for his company's first ever Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Council. Dorian shares that he is not an expert on all things car-related, but he does know about being true to yourself and becoming who you are in your soul. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B. coming to you, and I have Dorian Tedder in the driver's seat today. How are you today, Dorian? I'm doing great, Jamie. Thanks for having me today. Yeah. Let's just address something right out of the gate here. So you have a deeper voice than the majority of the people that I have on this show. Mm -hmm. Um, You are a man, and I know I constantly say on this show that I don't have men on this podcast. Uh, I've actually had men offer to be on the show. I have declined uh, and explained to them that this is for women by women. Uh, The only two men that have ever been on this podcast previously were the fathers of an eight and nine-year-old girls that uh, loved working on cars and loved being around cars. So why are you on this podcast Right. So we talked about this before in the pre-interview and we both agreed. Let's just put it out there right out of the gate. 
so that we can move on past this. I reached out to you. You and I are both members of a DEI council, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Council. And that's ultimately how we met, really. Mm-hmm. And I asked you if you would be willing to do this podcast. And initially, you had shared with me that, hey, I don't want to take any seat time, airtime away from women, particularly in this industry. That is very noble. And believe me, I do protect that. <laughs> I protect it with this podcast. But I, I kept talking to you about it because there's two particular groups of people that I want to represent on this podcast. One is transgender women and one is transgender men. And the reason why I think that is important is because these are important topics to talk about. And when you are in an industry that is so male-dominated, right, trying to navigate all of this, we start to realize, and people who listen to the Femcanic Garage podcast realize real quick that this isn't just about the automotive and skilled trades industries. What we talk about here is humanity and real-life situations with the focus on how to navigate in this industry. So you were born female. You are in the middle of transitioning. And listeners, I'll be the first to admit, I'm ignorant when it comes to a lot of this. And Dorian has been so patient and so kind and gracious around my ignorance as I learn. So you're you're a phenomenal teacher. And even in the pre-interview, we started to talk about certain things. I'm like, no, 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 let's not talk about it. Let's <laughs> wait until the interview so the listeners get my authentic reactions and can see, God, I don't know any other way of saying this, see my ignorance. Maybe they can learn through my ignorance and maybe things that I handle well or maybe not so well. I feel like we have a good enough relationship during where you know that I'm not coming from a condescending, attacking, or demeaning way, that it's genuinely me wanting to learn. Right. And maybe some other folks can learn from how I approach this or maybe learn how not to approach it by listening to me. So there are women currently identifying as women in this industry that may be thinking about transitioning. Maybe they're not thinking about it. Maybe they've never thought about it. Maybe after this interview, it pops into their head as a possibility. And that, listeners, is why Dorian is on this show, to share his experience and to give a voice to a population that is out there. So, Dorian, that was long-winded, but thank you for being here. Thank you for being willing to be vulnerable and educate an entire community. So thank you. You're welcome. Totally welcome. And can I just say that's probably the most eloquent I've ever heard anyone say that they were ignorant. Not that I think that you're an ignorant person. The fact that you're willing to say that you were just shows that you're one of the most true allies that trans people, queer people could really you know, ask for. So yeah, I just wanted to say that like what you said is correct. I 
was born biologically female. We like to say that we were assigned female at birth or assigned male at birth. Um, So I was assigned female at birth and I am what you would say in the middle of transition. I didn't just start it yesterday and transition for some people can stop. Um, They can, you know, maybe decide that they don't want to continue with uh, what they've been doing. They can take their hormones till the day that they die, which would I kind of be like transition never ends. So in some cases, we would say that I am a man of transgender experience because transition can imply that you start something and end something, you know, started as one thing and ended as another thing. In reality, a lot of us have always been, we, we know that we've been this way. So the change can be emotional, it can be physical, it can be both. Um, and sometimes the word transition gets muddled through all that because it's it's confusing. But yes, I am a man of transgender experience. And you are absolutely correct that I'm here today because there's people out there that I want to speak to. And I believe that there are quite a few of them listening to your podcast. People like me assigned female at birth, uh, possibly haven't considered transitioning. Maybe they have. Uh, maybe hearing my voice today and all that I've gone through will see something. Uh, but also people assigned male at birth. Maybe they're listening to this podcast, knowing that there's some part inside of them that wants to come out uh, or is already out. Maybe they want to hear that there's more people out there that are working through the male-dominated field of the automotive thing and uh, just want to know that they're not alone. So yeah, just speaking to people that I hope are listening. Let's back up because I I want the listeners to be able to connect the dots here. So why the automotive industry? Why am I interviewing you? Because I have a very targeted niche and that's what I focus on. You are in the automotive industry. Growing up, did you ever think you would be in the automotive industry? Not really, no. Um, Growing up for me was... Not even knowing, like when I was a super young kid, I couldn't get behind the idea of gender and separation. You know, like I'm female, they're male. It never even crossed my mind that people were different based off of their bodies, you know, like super young, right? And so for me, I was just trying to do all these things that everyone else was doing. I just, for some reason, seemed to zero in on the things that people would say are stereotypically boys' toys, you know, like things that boys like kind of stuff. And it didn't, to me, think that that was weird. You know, I wasn't a kid that really liked playing with Barbie dolls. It wasn't because, ew, that's gross, that's what girls play with, and I'm a boy. It was more just like, it didn't pick up my fancy, you know? It didn't sit with me. And then later, as I got older, and you know, the physical, you know, puberty hits and physical things hit and all that. That's when it got pushed on me that I had to, you know, do things this way. I had to try to wear these clothes. You know, my my biggest memory of that was like, I wanted to go swimming and I wanted to go swimming without a shirt on because it was hot. And my parents were like, you can't do that. And I was like, he's doing it. Why can't I do it? And I was so mad, so angry. How old were you, just to put it in perspective? Well, 
it's really hard for me to put down a, a number or anything like that, but I, I started puberty pretty, I wouldn't say like 12 years old early, but I, I grew a chest pretty early and it was sizable from the start. So mm-hmm. I, like I was like 14 and it was my birthday and my sister gave me a card, a birthday card, and it was targeted towards making fun of the size of my chest because mine was bigger than hers was. And she was like 16 and it, mm-hmm. that upset me a lot. Cause I was like, I'm no different than anyone else here. But yeah, that's um, when I was growing up, I wanted to do things that, you know, like I said, people say are stereotypically masculine. So, you know, some people in my family had a farm and I wanted to go hang out on the farm. And for some reason, I didn't get to do it as much as like I would have liked to. You know, my brother lived with my grandparents and helped with their farming and all that. But that was never an option for me. I think my thing was that I didn't say enough that I wanted to do all these things because at a certain point it was like, you have to do all these things that are stereotypically like, like feminine. And I just didn't think to speak out that I wanted to do these super masculine things. But there was, you know, there was a time when I was younger where I was all like, yeah, I want to go be at the farm. I want to like ride the four wheeler. I want to do all these cool things. I want to go hunting, but no one would ever show me how to. And my parents weren't kind of there with the farm, you know, and there with the fishing and there with the, the cool outdoor country stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, they were raising four kids. Uh, So things were, you know, pockets weren't deep. Yeah. So I just kind of let go of it. And that's like, I became a super antisocial teenager and did nothing but like read books for a really long time. Like books were my best friend for a really long time. And so I didn't even think about getting into automotive until I moved to this place in New Mexico. I'm from Missouri. I moved to New Mexico and um, I needed a job super bad. And there it was on some website one day and it said automotive seasonal. And I said, that seems easy. I could, I could totally do that. Uh, they train you totally cool. Mm-hmm. So I just clicked on it and I hadn't even finished the application. Cause it was one of those online things. We got to put in everything. I didn't even finish the application mm-hmm. and I got a, a phone call that was like, do you want an interview? And I was like, I guess. Yeah, sure. When tomorrow. Okay. So like they desperately, I guess, needed someone. And they had just posted it. It wasn't like it was up for super long. And so I did that. And that's when I realized, like, this is super automotive. You know, like, one of the questions asked of me by the person hiring me was, this is a super male-dominated field. Every other technician here is male. We don't have any female technicians right now. You are actually replacing a female technician that we had for, like, a year or two, and she's not coming back. So you're the only one. Are you cool with that? And I just want to like make that clear for the listeners, the connection. When you started your current job, you were female presenting. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I was female presenting when I started this job roughly. And when you interviewed. Roughly six years ago when I interviewed, I was presenting as female and identifying myself as a lesbian um, and had been identifying as a lesbian for maybe two to three years when I started this position. It wasn't for another two, two and a half years or so 
that I would come out as, you know, a transgender man. I'm sitting here thinking and trying to put myself in a transgender man's experience and a transgender woman's experience in this industry. And I go one step further in, you know, my journey to empathy. And I think if if my child was a transgender woman or a transgender man in this industry, I would I would be scared for them to go to work in the automotive industry. If I'm being honest, I would be scared for my daughter to go to work in the automotive industry. That's very fair. I mean, time times are changing, you know, so it's not nearly what it was beforehand. But I mean, you're, you're absolutely correct because I've seen it time and again, you know, when you're in a field of work where it's very... There's toxic masculinity. Exactly, toxic masculinity. <laughs> and the thing for me is that like, stereotypically and generally for decades now, it has been cisgender and cisgender, by the way, it's when you identify as the gender that they have assigned you at birth. You know, so that would be if you were assigned female at birth, cisgender would mean that you still identify and, and say that you are female now. I would be categorized as cisgender. Yeah, a cisgender woman. So yeah, gotcha. So stereotypically, okay. for so long now, there's been you know this idea that cisgender men work on cars. You know, they do all these things. They work in the oil fields. They are. Um, the people who repair things, construction, construction workers, uh, welders, all that kind of stuff where you get your hands dirty, uh, men's work. And so when that becomes the case, the only people that work there are men. And, you know, we see these memes and jokes and stuff like that all the time where it's like, you know, the minute the husband leaves the house for work, he goes to work and finally he can be free of his wife. And he's at work with the bros and the dudes. And that's kind of what it is. It's like, like some people say, it's a, a locker room situation. You know, they're all there mm-hmm. talking, shooting the shit. And um, when we've thrown, you know, uh, cisgender females, women into the mix, then they feel like personally attacked, apparently. You know, they're like, this is where I come to get away from that. It's like, no, this is work, dude. So, yeah, you know, we have more uh, cisgender women in the automotive field, and we're seeing this shift to where transgender is now accepted and normal. And I say that with an asterisk because we're still fighting for it. But um, now we're starting to see more transgender people in the automotive field, but it's still very sparse, you know? Mm-hmm. And a lot of it has to do with safety, you know? On our council at work, we talk through why we think women don't want to work in the automotive field. I mean, one really good thing is the lifting requirement. Our lifting requirement on our applications is like 75 pounds. And some people see that and get turned away. I almost didn't apply because of it. I was like, I can't lift 75 pounds, can I? And then my other side of my brain was like, Hell yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. But it's it scared me to think, what if I can't lift all that? And then I got there and I started training for the job. And I was like, I don't even need to lift 75 pounds for this job. Right. It was really weird. 
I kind of want to back up a little bit and bring the the listeners along. You applied for the job in the automotive industry. At that time, you were presenting female. We'll bring the listeners along with this because this is just, I, I have so many mixed emotions about the story that you shared where it's like, oh, wow, that's way cool to be able to have that perspective. And it validates so much research and right. Um, but at the same time, I kind of angers me a little bit. It annoys me a little bit. So you actually had a an opportunity where you went out and you did a job for a particular customer. And when you first did a job for this customer, you were female presenting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, can you kind of bring the listeners along and share this story around this experience? Because it's going to lead into what you so elegantly put in the pre-interview that it's really about the balance of femininity and masculinity for both men and women. And and you pose a unique circumstance because of you transitioning. So can we start off with that story? Yeah. And I know exactly which one you're talking about. And you're right. It does, it does pose that unique perspective of presenting as feminine and then presenting as masculine. So the story goes that I was maybe a year or two in at where I work and I have this customer and we go to customers remotely. And so I go to this gentleman's house and it is at least an hour away from where I live. Um, And it's maybe 15 minutes to get to the town closest to that gentleman. So we were almost in the middle of nowhere and down here in the desert, you can't just run from place to place because everything in the middle of place to place is trying to kill you. You know, if it's not cacti and coyotes, it's the little pokey things in the ground. I can't remember what they're called right now, but yeah, so I'm down there and I'm doing this job for this gentleman. And as soon as I get there, he's very friendly with me, you know, not overly friendly, not flirty or anything like that just really friendly, you know, made mention that he had done this job previously back in the eighties. So he sat there on his rock wall and kind of hung out with me, watched as I worked and talked to me. We chatted. It was all good times. I was having a good time. He was having a good time. I was doing my job. I was a little bit nervous because, you know, you're still in there within, you know, within the first year or so, you're still like, you know, trying, trying not to make any mistakes, do everything really perfectly, like don't mess up. So I'm over here doing everything perfectly, cleaning off all my tools and whatnot and using them all correctly. And this person, again, automotive field, this guy has a really big truck uh, and I am five foot four for my listeners out there, five foot four. So really big lifted truck working on it and uh, doing the best that I can in the sand. And so everything goes great. You know, gentleman pays me for the services and shakes my hand I said, sir, there'll be a survey, you know, please fill it out, blah, blah, blah. And then I leave. No big deal. So a couple of weeks goes by, maybe a week or two, maybe three goes by. And this gentleman had called in a warranty. So the warranty was for a scratch. Uh, Well, in his case, he thought it was something much more serious. Uh, He thought I had broken the thing that I was there to replace uh, while putting it in. So... My coworker had received that job that day, and he'd been at this place 
maybe a year less than I had. So a little bit more you know, green. So he goes out to this gentleman's house and he told me later that the gentleman was very cool with him, but kept saying that woman or that girl kept calling me, you know, the girl technician. That girl messed up with my truck and totally broke the thing that she came out here to do. He just kept saying that I didn't clean my my tools, that it was obvious that the reason why it was messed up was because of me and because I hadn't cleaned all my tools and everything like that. And I kept thinking, but I did. I did clean my tools. I, he saw me do that. Like I literally did it right in front of him as he watched. But the, all the blame was on me. And my coworker, who is six foot three, did a perfect, amazing job. And that was it. So I was like, okay, I guess I did a horrible job. My coworker, who's been here a year less than me, has done a great job, whatever. Um, then a year goes by, and then I get dispatched out to this guy's house again. And this time, I had started to medically transition. Can you educate me? When you say starting a medical transition, educate me, Dorian, what does that mean exactly? I say that very specifically because there are people who, uh, you know, identify as transgender or, you know, non-binary, gender non-conforming. Well, well, slow down. Slow down. (laughs) You just rattled off a whole bunch there. Let's define some of this here, okay? The first one, transgender, that is when someone who is assigned a gender at birth, don't identify as the gender that's on their birth certificate in one way or another. And that can lead into being non-binary. There's no good one word to put it because someone might say that they're gender non-conforming. Someone might say that they're just non-binary or gender fluid, you know. Does it kind of mean the same thing? I think it depends from person to person, you know. Gotcha. Just like the word trans male, trans man, maybe some person doesn't like to be called that because they don't feel like they're in transition anymore. Maybe they feel like their transition is done. So they would like to say man of trans experience. Um, Or maybe someone just really likes to be called, you know, a trans man or a trans woman. Um, Some people might not like to refer to their transness at all and just be male, female. Um, But there's all sorts of, you know, in the middle where maybe someone feels that, you know, why not both? Or why gender at all? You know, like, what's the point of that? So. And that would be referred to as what? More recently recognized, I think, as non-binary. Because the binary, the ones and the zeros, the male and the female. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to be classified as either or, maybe you would say you're non-binary. But also, it's again, it's really hard. I, I have a friend who considers himself a non-binary person, but that person is okay with being referred to with she, her pronouns, but also they, them pronouns. Um, there are times when he, him pronouns is also appropriate. It just kind of depends. And that person sometimes lets us know, you know, what they're feeling on that day. Maybe they might say, hey, everyone, just letting you know, I'm feeling extremely masculine today. So today let's uh, let's use some he, him pronouns. And then maybe the next day it might be different. So it's fluid for Again, them. gender fluid, yes. That's really cool. But that's, it's all labels and everyone likes to label themselves a little bit differently. You know, so it's it's hard because you don't necessarily want to just 
directly ask them, what's your label? You just have to listen. Let me pause you one second here, Dorian. So listening to this actually makes me feel a little better. And, and let, me, let me explain what I mean by that. I am part of the LGBTQ community. I identify as a cisgender woman that is a lesbian. I mean, it, we all want labels. We all want to label things and people, right? So there you have it. There's my label. But I, if I'm being honest, like my kids are teaching me stuff. They're like, oh, that person's blah, blah, blah. And I'm like thinking in the back of my head, what the hell is that? Like, <laughs> I'm, you know, air quotes, part of the community. And I don't understand and know some of these things. And and I guess hearing you explain this, right? But I feel better where it's like, okay, the reality is that it is it is confusing. And it's confusing because as people and as a society, we're all still trying to figure this out. We don't all have it figured out. Oh, of course. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Definitely. I mean, for some people, it takes a lifetime to figure out what you are, what you're feeling, you know, and emotions change on a dime sometimes. And that's not a transgender no, that's an thing. everyone thing. Let's be clear. I guess for me, and, and I'm processing out loud as I'm learning from you, and what I'm realizing is that we are all way more alike than we're different. But what I really respect the transgender community for the most is their courage to live out and act out who they really are. And you you bring that into just someone standing up to their parent. It's no different. Well, you're hitting the nail right on the head because, and, and I thank you for, you know, taking the time to consider that it's very hard for us and it takes a lot of courage for us to live our lives the same way as everyone else does. But everyone in the LGBT plus, you know, QIA, Two-Spirit community, we are all trying to live our authentic life, you know? And that takes courage. It does take courage. It takes courage to come out no matter what label you are coming out of and going into, you know, switching, again, being very fluid and all that. It, it takes a lot of courage to be yourself, especially in this day and age where, discrimination is rampant, you know, it doesn't matter what you are, you know, your skin color, your religion, your sexuality, your gender, everything is being discriminated against this day and age. And so it takes courage to just be yourself. I remember in the pre-interview, you said something, I wrote it down and it just stuck with me. And you said that when you are out in public, You've also heard a lot of other transgender individuals talk about this, where when someone comes up to you and, and asks you, are you a transgender man, mm -hmm. that you pause and these fleeting thoughts go through your head and maybe no one even asks you, but it's almost like the way you described it, and this is my interpretation, so correct me if I completely misinterpreted what you're saying, but it's almost like when, when you're out in public, in the back of your mind, it's like, do they see me? Did they figure me out? Or do they know? You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's like this safety thing, mm -hmm. right? And not knowing how people will react or treat you or yeah. 
you know, do they know? Is it obvious that I'm transgender? And, and I guess the connection that I'm making here, Dorian, mm-hmm. and some people, this may really piss them off. I don't know. But when I think about my nephew, who is a black man, he's a young black man in his early 20s. And if he were to go into a predominantly white neighborhood, right, it's it's different in the sense that, you know, the skin colors like immediately, like you know that. But it's the same in what I've heard a lot of black people talk about is this fear for their life and having to constantly be careful. Does that make sense? Yeah, I would classify it as, you know, constantly looking over your shoulder and also constantly looking for the exit, which again, anyone who identifies under the rainbow can attest that that is something that they might be doing all the time. And people of color. Definitely people of color. So I guess personally for, for me, what it looks like is, so I live my life and I don't, necessarily shy away from the fact that I am transgender, but I also don't scream it from every rooftop. And I have been extremely fortunate that when I started to medically transition, which I don't think I actually explained it earlier, but to medically transition specifically means that you don't identify with your gender at birth and you would like to change your appearance, your voice, your build, all that kind of stuff via medical means. So for a lot of transgender people that is going on hormones, estrogen, testosterone, all that. For some people that may also include certain types of surgery to correct uh, what they feel like is is not working with them. Now let's get it out there because this is the topic that people are curious about, they don't know how to ask. And I'll be the first to admit, I don't know how to ask. But I, I literally was on a call earlier today. I'm being featured for Pride Month, specifically around the parent space, because I have two children. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I wanted th- to come out in my message is ask questions. If you want to know where my children came from, like not literally, we all know that it comes from a woman, right? (laughs) But if you want to know and understand this, you remaining silent makes it seem like it's taboo. It doesn't normalize it. The more we talk about it, the more we normalize it. And, And as I was preparing for this interview, Dorian, I was sitting there thinking, Everyone's wondering, like when someone goes through a medical transition, there's top surgery where the breasts are removed. Mm -hmm. Now, again, this is where my ignorance comes in. And I'm assuming a transgender woman could have the opposite, meaning Mm -hmm. they have breasts. They have the the plastic surgery to have. uh, (laughs) I'm going to laugh at myself. I understand what you're saying. I almost said installed (laughs) like it's a car. (laughs) Of course, we would we would go to that. My God, I, I just had to pause. I'm like, Jesus. There are man. names for all these things. Like for me, it's a a double mastectomy, that kind of thing. Which 
I know that there's a lot of people listening to this who are like mastectomy. That's, you know, when you might have breast cancer and need to have your, your breast removed. Well, that's kind of exactly the surgery that some transgender males or non-binary people uh, receive, which is a double mastectomy. Nowadays, the um, procedure can also include what we call chest masculinization. It's a very long word. Body contouring, basically. So instead of just straight up removing the breast tissue, there is, you know, trying to see if we can work with what we got. Pecs are created. Basically, yeah. Like if you you have a certain kind of structure, you can try to have that, you know, pectoral created, the muscle and all that. It can be very hard depending on what you are already working with. In some cases, liposuction. Yeah might be, um, I wouldn't say necessary, but if you want a certain kind of look, you might go for that option. But then there is, in some cases, what we call nipple grafts as well. So again, going to use myself personally, my areolas are humongous. And that is not necessarily what you see on your typical cisgender man. So when I do uh, eventually have my top surgery, which Hint, hint, nudge, nudge is December 16th. Which we're going to talk about. We will. You got a fund me page, right? I do a have Go a GoFundMe Go page. page. That is no, not cheap. It's thousands. And is that covered under insurance? It depends on what your insurance is. There are certain states where the, and I get these two mixed up all the time. Medicare is for younger people and Medicaid is for older people. Is that right? Or is it vice versa? I don't know. I always forget yeah. that. That's another um, area I'm ignorant on. <laughs> I'm ignorant on a lot. Of I always topics. forget that one. I do apologize for that. But state-funded Medicare, Medicaid—one of those two. Um, depending on what state you live in, like I live in New Mexico. If I were to have one of those two, the one that actually does it, they will cover uh, transition-related medical things like the hormones and the and the surgeries and all that. Some states definitely do not, depending on what state you're from. And then I have employer-based healthcare. So generally with that, um, your employer, you know, you sit down, you do your insurance every year or something like that, and you pick which package you want and all that, which ironically enough is kind of what we do. And depending on whether or not your employer has allowed the insurance companies to leave that in, if that insurance company also has it, then yes, it can be covered depending on what your, you know, your deductible is and all that kind of stuff. It just really depends what state you're in. I didn't realize that, Dorian. So there's situations where insurance companies do offer it to be covered and then employers may decline it. If someone wanted to check to see if the insurance company actually offers it, not necessarily what their employer offers, do they just call the insurance company? Yeah, or it would be listed on their website. Like I specifically use um, United Healthcare uh, because I, you know, was going through four different insurance uh, companies and their packages, and I checked them all out. And this one offered the most for me specifically for transgender males specifically. Um, the only issue with some insurance companies and all that is the package that they might include. Don't include everything that might be what someone deems necessary for themselves. 
So can you give an example? Yeah, this is going to take me right off into a tangent, but it can be a little bit easier to transition into a masculine appearance and build because when you are taking a feminine body, you know, with the the breasts and the and the the body and the voice and the hair and everything like that, it can be easier to take that and you know take your testosterone and and build yourself into um, a masculine physique, you know, because we start with as as female bodies uh, having a lot of weight that we carry in our hips and in our midsection and all that. And depending on if you want to or not, you know, going to the gym and whatnot, testosterone actually helps kind of rearrange things in that department. I noticed very quickly that my legs and my arms got more muscular. I was able to build more muscles doing my normal everyday job. And I lost a lot of weight pretty quickly and volume in my breast kind of went down. I was losing kind of like bits of fat and whatnot. And also things were moving. Now, that's not to say you completely lose your hips. That is kind of one of those things that we can't quite get rid of is the hips. But taking a high pitched voice and dropping it is easier than taking a low pitched voice and making it higher. So that's definitely one area where transgender women find it very hard. A lot of times they end up going to um, like vocal, like voice therapy, voice therapy, vocal lessons and all that to, to help them. But then another one of the big things is changing like, and this is like, you know, your forward facing appearance, your face, changing your face from the feminine to the masculine can be a lot easier than vice versa. You know, point in case, Mm -hmm. Adam's apple. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite movies of all time is Tu Wong Fu. Oh, that one's a great one too. That's with Patrick Mm -hmm. Swayze and Wesley Snipes. Yeah, and John Leguizamo. Say the name of that again. I recommend anyone go watch this movie. It's it's actually really good. Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. But everyone shortens it to Tu Wong Fu. I can't believe you remember Again, it's one of my favorite movies. I have it on DVD. But there at the very end, Patrick Swayze, and just for anyone who doesn't know what this movie is, it is three drag queens, and they take a road trip from New York to California for a, um, I think it's called a drag queen pageant, like uh, for the entire United States. Like they won their little district, and now they're going to the United States for the big one. And their car breaks down in an extremely small, dusty little, like, Texas town. So they attempt to ingratiate themselves into the little town and all that, but also try trying not to let anyone there know that they are masculine. And mm-hmm. they're at the very end of the movie, the person that they were staying with in that house, you know, she was in a really horrible domestic abuse situation that they helped her, you know, through and out of. And Patrick Swayze's character becomes like really good friends with her and they're getting ready to leave. And Patrick Swayze's character says, you know, Hey, I have something I have to tell you. And she just turns to her and says, Adam's apple. And Patrick's like, I don't know what you mean. And she's like, you have an Adam's apple. And Patrick is confused. Like, well, is that going to change, you know, how we interact? And she says, you know, no, 
I just know that I have an angel of a friend who happens to have an Adam's apple. So doesn't blink an eye, um, as apparently known from the very beginning. And that's when the entire crowd really would think, holy crap, like it's been right in front of you the entire time. You just had to know that Sister mm-hmm. Nerman had Adam's yeah. apples, which I mean, scientifically, I, I think there's research out there that shows that the Adam's apple is one of those things where cisgender women can actually have a pretty large area right there that it looks like an, an Adam's apple and vice versa. Men, cisgender men can have very little ones. Um, so it's not necessarily that's the tell because like, honestly, I don't even notice that I have one, which I guess I don't, mm-hmm. but that doesn't stop anyone from saying, you know, he, him pronouns to me. Right. But that's one of my favorite movies. Uh, but the Adam's apple is one of those things where if you're a certain type of transgender woman that has a very prominent one, you may want to change that. And in some cases, that's not a surgery that's covered because it is considered cosmetic and not life-saving care. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of those for transgender women that are considered cosmetic. Like there's, uh, and there's a great movie out there, great documentary film about a transgender woman who is a bodybuilder. And the whole documentary is about how she tries to tell everyone in her life about who she is, but also still compete on the bodybuilding circuit. And it's kind of hard. But there at the very, very end, there's kind of like a, a cut where you see that she has gone somewhere to have quite a few surgeries done on her face. And that's because, you know, sometimes the masculine face is angular and such. And sometimes the, the, the feminine face is soft. So that's what she had done was a lot of facial reconstructive surgeries to change the appearance of her face. And again, that can be considered a cosmetic surgery and not a life-saving one. Like top surgery, I think it's considered top surgery for, for, for both of us. Removal of the breasts and then implants and whatnot. Those are considered life-saving. And a lot of times the bottom surgery, I won't get into the myriad of options there, but bottom surgery is also something that is covered. But it's a lot of those things that could be considered cosmetic that are not covered. Like, for instance... In both transgender women and transgender men have bottom surgery options. We have options. It is up to us individually to decide if we want to. Specifically for myself, I have come to a conclusion that I do not want bottom surgery. And that is because as much as I have penis envy... I don't have it to the degree where I would want to put myself in that much pain necessarily. Is it risky or no? It can be, and it definitely used to be. Um, The thing with bottom surgery... It's got to be easier transitioning to to male, I imagine, like removing ovaries. It really depends. It's like a hysterectomy. Well, that's actually a separate surgery. Bottom surgery for us is not what we call hysterectomies. Um, so hysterectomy or his terectomy is <laughs> obviously <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so hysterectomy there is you know taking out your your ovaries and things like that, which is you know covered under most insurances and all that. But bottom surgery and what I am talking about is more to do with your lower genitalia. So not the organs themselves. Yeah, I mean there's a myriad of options out there. 
it could be, it could not be. Yes. Yeah. Because I mean, for me, you know, being a transgender man, I do have all the feminine lower parts, you know, the vagina and everything like that. And there are options that I could have where I could, I guess with, I I don't know how else to say it, close the hole, you know? Yeah. And there are surgeries where I could have my clitoris. Um, it's really hard to describe this with just your words. Don't they like stretch the skin and yeah. So there's one, there's a surgery where you can have it kind of clipped to where it is no longer attached and looks kind of like, you know, a mound, but more like an individual shaft, like a penis. And you can have that Mm -hmm. lengthened. Mm -hmm. You can even have uh, a ball sack uh, made, you know, have that made testicular implants and all that. It's all plastic surgery. Yeah. And see, Dorian, I I know this seems, for the listener, this may seem graphic that we're talking about this. Is it though? And I think that's the evolution of society. The more we talk about it, the more it's normalized. When you think 50 years ago about the women who, after they had children, had crazy saggy boobs where they were tube socks that looked like they had rocks in them, right? And it was impacting their self-esteem. So they went and had plastic surgery. 50 years ago, oh my God, that's, that's right? That's just for the rich and famous and the real gaudy or self-absorbed people. And, and it's not. It, as strange as this may sound to some people, this is no different than getting braces. Now, let me, that may sound like a crazy analogy. When you get down to the core of any plastic surgery or cosmetic anything, and let's just use braces as an example, because I think that's what people can relate to. If you have your teeth that are all crooked, or maybe they're yellow and they're crooked, and you're conscious about it to the point where you don't even want to smile, and you go get braces. That is a change in your physical appearance, your your body, yeah. right? That is no different than this. Yeah. It's really not. Men have penis enlargers. Yeah. Why, why is all this taboo? It's, it's about feeling good about yourself and being your authentic self. We, we tend to overcomplicate this. It is really that simple. Right. The only problem with it is that for, you know, your average cisgender male and female, them feeling good about themselves with, you know, breast enlargement or penis enlargement and all that, that's okay. Whereas for transgender people, us feeling like our authentic selves, the way we want to look, that's not normal. Thus, it needs to be regulated and or discriminated against and or totally banned. I would encourage any and all parents, if you haven't started talking to your kids about these things, like teaching them about their body, like we started talking to my kids when, geez, they were four or five years old. And and it's all age appropriate stuff, mind you. But teaching them where they came from, that they have a, a sperm donor. They don't have a dad. It's a sperm donor. And you may have diblings. What are diblings? They are siblings, half brothers and sisters that you may have out in the world because some other family used the same sperm donor. So this is all about just educating people. And 
Thank you for being willing to just talk openly about this, Dorian. I love talking about myself. Because it's the questions that we all have. And when I say we all have, anyone who is not going through the transition doesn't know about it. Yeah, but everyone is super curious. If you're interested in going through the transition, you're starting to educate yourself. Mm -hmm. Or if you are with someone who's going through the transition or your friends are close with someone, then you know about it. Just about everyone else doesn't. And we have to do a lot of what I call homework about it to even have someone sign off to say that we are what we already know that we are, you know? So let's say you want to transition medically and start hormones, right? In some cases, you have to have a therapist that says you have gender dysphoria, you know, uh, depending on who you want to pay for your hormones. Isn't that insane? <laughs> that, that has such a negative connotation to it. Yeah, if you if you want to start something, you have to have letters. You have to have people saying that you are what you say you are. You have to be certain. Like before you can even take your first, you know, dose of your hormone, you have to sign paperwork that says you are informed that this changes you and sometimes irrevocably, you know, in some ways taking hormones you can't just stop them and totally revert back to what you were before you started. You know, physically, you can't change everything like that. You know, once the voice drops, you don't necessarily go back to that if you stop taking your hormones. So we have to sign a bunch of papers that says, yes, I know what I'm doing. And it's like, okay, I've signed these papers. And then, you know, I've had this person who's a therapist sign off on that I have gender dysphoria. Um, Okay, so I've started my hormones. Now, if I want to have surgery, depending on who I want to pay for it, I have to have a letter from my therapist and my doctor. In some cases, it's my therapist and two doctors. And it depends on which surgery I want to get. And if I want a certain bottom surgery, I have to have the hysterectomy first. I can't do one without the other one first. So there's still a lot of people in your way telling you that you're not who you say you are. And it almost all starts with a therapist. Mm -hmm. And if you get that one super transphobic therapist, it kind of turns you off to the whole experience. You know, it's crazy how many, and I apologize for using the word crazy. We shouldn't be saying that, but it is just not cool how many people get to regulate your body about what you already know. Right. Or make decisions for your body, for you. Right. And let me just say, as far as the hysterectomy goes, I have a diagnosis. Yes, it's a diagnosis that I have gender dysphoria through my doctor. And that is the reason why I will be allowed to have a hysterectomy before the age of 35. Because in most states, you have to be a 35-year-old woman in order to sign off on your own hysterectomy without support of somebody else saying, yes, that's okay. Specifically, I'm talking about a husband. If you're a married woman before the age of 35, I think it is, I can't remember the exact wording of it, but like, let's say you're a married woman and you want to have your hysterectomy. That doctor is going to look at your husband and say, you cool with this? Why does it matter? He's not the one going through the surgery, you know? Yeah. And if you're not married, yeah, you have to be like 35 to in order to have that hysterectomy because you might want to. And it's interesting because I I went through that, Dorian. I knew I never wanted to carry children. 
I knew I always wanted to raise children. I just never wanted to be pregnant. Same. Does that make sense? Like some women just always wanted to experience that. I never wanted to experience it, but I wanted to be a mother. I was probably 32 or 33 and I was getting cysts. I was in so much pain. My periods were so heavy. I was so uncomfortable. I was exhausted every month. Like I was miserable for like a week. And I went to my, my gynecologist and, and I'm like, take the shit out. I'm not going to use it. I don't need it. I know I'm never going to carry. I am absolute certain on that. And total pushback. Total pushback. Well, it's because the doctor knows better than you, obviously. That's insane. And they and my gyno knows I'm a lesbian, too. So it's not like... I don't get the fascination with you must have children. I don't... I, I've known from a very long time that I do not want kids. Like, I can play with kids, I can babysit kids, I love my nieces and my nephew, like, love them to death, all good. Um, don't want any of my own. And of course, everyone says, oh, that may change later. I am 34 as of tomorrow and still do not want them. Uh, there may come a time in the future where I may want to adopt, foster, whatever the case may be. But I am way too focused on me and my new fiance as of the other day. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, way too focused on our life, my life and our life, to even consider having kids. We have cats, not kids. And that's enough for me. And that doesn't make you selfish. That does not make you selfish. It's the highest form of self-love. And even if it was selfish, fine. I'm cool with being selfish, you know? Like, I spend tons of money to change my appearance, to change my voice, to, you know, get my breasts lopped off, to, you know, be my authentic self and to live the life that I know that I, that I am. And if that's selfish, fine, I'm selfish as shit. That's fine. I don't care what other people think about that. I can be selfish and bringing kids into the world and all that, you know, first of all, I cannot tolerate all that much pain. So kudos to people with, you know, ovaries and vaginas and whatnot that want to have babies. Kudos to you for that. Not what I want. Me neither. Me neither. Let, let them have that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, in December, you are going to have your top surgery. Yep. Now, are you going to have any of the the physical defining part of it or is it just the removal? Yeah. So my surgeon works out of an office that is catered towards gender confirmation surgeries. So there's a lot of people in that office that do all the surgeries someone who is, you know, transgender or non-binary might actually want to have. And this one that I'm going to kind of excels at, you know, top surgery for trans masculine people. And so what I'll basically be getting is my size 42 double D breasts removed. And God bless it. I know. Your back's going to be like, thank you. <laughs> to be fair, again, some of the volume has left in the last three years. So 
I would say that calling them 42 Double D might be where they used to be. To be fair, I don't wear a lot of like actual bras. I've never really been the person that wears like an underwire bra. It's been a lot of sports bras. So all I know is like I'm an XXL bra wearer. Yeah. So you're going to have those removed. And it's not nearly as complicated as people think. The most complicated part of it is the the nipple removal, the resizing, the putting it on there, that kind of thing. I got to say something about that real quick, Dorian. Yeah. There's nothing unusual about that either. There's there's a lot of women who end up getting breast reductions because of back problems and stuff. My mom got a breast reduction when she was younger because of the back problems it was creating for her. Yeah. And the nipple placement was part of that. <laughs> it's for those of you who don't know anything about it. Yeah, I almost had a breast reduction surgery when I was a young teenager. Again, had large breasts very, very early on, bigger than most of my classmates. And my mom was like, you know, this is, we're going to need to maybe address this because you're going to have back issues. So we went to, mm-hmm. to look into getting a uh, breast reduction surgery for myself again, 15 ish at the time. And, you know, I went into this hospital, went into this office. I had pictures taken of my naked chest, you know, and I'm a teenager that had no idea I was not any part of knowing about sex and and things like that. I was not sexually aware at the time. But I had all these pictures taken of me topless, left, right, front, back, all that kind of stuff, only for my doctor, who was a cisgender female woman, to say, you're too fat, just lose weight. That was it. Oh, wow. That was it. So my mom was super pissed. Um, so that was the end of that. Just didn't go through it. One horrible experience later, didn't do it. So I don't know how that would have changed my situation now, other than maybe a different surgery could be performed, but cause there are actually quite a few different types of top surgery out there for transmasculine people. Um, mine is like what I said, it's called a double mastectomy in my procedure is actually called a double incision because basically, you know, I've got two large breasts. And I'll be laying, you know, on my back, just a hair elevated. And they'll basically be making two incisions per breast. One kind of follows the shape of the under breast. And one is kind of uh, similar, but over the breast. And they'll be taking like a cauterizing scalpel. So like a really hot scalpel. And they'll basically be cutting the, the fatty tissue that is the breast. Because uh, we know that that's a lot of fat in there. So they'll be cutting that out, basically. Mm-hmm. They don't just like chop it off with a knife. They go around. And the cauterizing scalpel is there is because you have a lot of like veins and whatnot. You have a lot of uh, stuff in there that they have to cauterize. Otherwise, you know, you're going to bleed cr- like crazy. So they cauterize all that. Um, and of course, before any of this happens, I forgot to mention, and this is kind of ironic considering this is an automotive podcast but they will take a tool and put it right over your nipple and they will draw a circle around it um to to show like this is this is what the size of the nipple and almost every single surgeon that i've seen uses a um socket a socket for your ratchet oh okay so they take a socket of whatever size and they they place it on your nipple they trace around it with their little marker and before they make any other incision, they cut 
on that line right there and they take your nipple off and set it to the side and that's your nipple that's right and so then they take you know then they start with the other incisions and all that and they start you know cutting around your breast and all that and so once it's once it's ready complete and all that and they you know they leave a little bit there sometimes it really depends on what you want the doctor if you have a good one will ask you what do you want you know some people it's just a straight flat like nothing there flat as a cardboard box um and some people are like maybe let's leave a little something in there for some definition Mm-hmm. sometimes you might not even have that choice, you know, because I know if you have larger breasts and all that, it's, it's different for everyone because of how, how they hang, how are they sitting, that kind of stuff. Um, my mm-hmm. surgery yeah. specifically will entail liposuction of the area right underneath my armpits because my breasts kind of hang down quite a bit. And so it has this little portion from my back and my under armpits that kind of come with it. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. a little bit of that will need to be kind of lipoed out to give you like that, like shape, mm-hmm. but also because there's this thing, there's this thing in top surgery called dog ears. So dog ears form when they're doing one of the last things, which is closing you up. So once all the breast tissue is removed and you've had your liposuction and all that, you got to close. So those two incisions that they made the under and the above kind of look like a fish eye, like an almond And they'll bring those two together. So you've got it like this. And then they bring the two together to form uh, like Mm -hmm. a a real wide U shape kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So in in some chests, the scars might meet in the middle. In some chests, they might not meet in the middle. They may look just like the under portion of a pectoral, that kind of stuff. Um, But depending on how big you were as a person you know, going into surgery, how much skin you had, how elastic is it? How much fat did you have? Did you have liposuction? All these things. Um, right underneath the armpit or farther back is where your your scar would go. And sometimes when you fit the two portions of skin together and you sew it up, you have a little bit hanging off on the edge underneath like your armpit. Mm-hmm. And that's what we call a dog ear. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just this little flap of skin. And so that is something that some doctors would include in their, uh, in their surgery costs as a revision. So a couple of weeks later or something like that, you might go into that same surgeon and they might fix that kind of thing for some people. What's the recovery time? It's quite a bit. It can be like up to two, maybe three months, depending. I would say it depends on what your life is like. You know, like, are you a super active person? Do you ride a bike all the time? Do you go running? Do you lift a lot of weights? Do you have a job that's like pretty intensive as far as walking, lifting? Lifting is the big one, the lifting. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have a desk Mm -hmm. job? That kind of stuff. So obviously it's going to take a couple of weeks for you to heal enough to maybe go back to work, even if you have a desk job. But it's going to take a lot longer for that person who may lift heavy things above their head, either for a job or for a recreational activity. So I I want to kind of bring this kind of full circle, Dorian. Those are the questions that people are afraid to ask. And, And we explored a lot of those questions that people are afraid to ask. If you were to kind of coach people where maybe they think someone is transgender, they're a transgender person. 
and and they're they're curious. They just want to get to know them. As simple as that may sound, what do you tell them? What do you recommend to those people? So what you're asking is if someone is sitting in front of me and telling me that they think that they might be transgender, what would I say to them? It's an excellent clarifying question. I think there's two audiences that I'm curious if you could help coach them. One is the cisgender individual who wants to be educated and less ignorant. And then there's the listeners that maybe have thought about, maybe it's kind of in the back of their mind, maybe I do want to transition, right? So why don't we start with the cisgender individual who wants to be less ignorant? And I, I'm not saying that in, in a demeaning or condescending, but that's really what it is. When you look up the definition of ignorance, educating ourselves. Right. They want to learn. So there's kind of a couple of avenues with, with that scenario. So the first would be in, in my like personal way of thinking of it. First, I, w- I would need to know that that is coming from a place of respect and wanting to just be not ignorant of the situation. Because I don't mind having intellectual conversations with people about being transgender. You know, mm-hmm. I'm doing this podcast with you because I know that you respect me as a human being enough that you're not doing this out of hatred or, or, morbid, sick curiosity, Mm -hmm. you know? I literally just talked about having my breast removed and I didn't bat an eyelash at it because I've actually explained it quite a few times to quite a few people. Because, you know, first of all, I'm not super shy about the subject. I don't mind telling people about it. But I know that there are people out there that might ask me that question. And I think it depends on who's asking and how they ask it. Because... I can remember when I first told my family that I was transgender, um, I wasn't there in person with them. So when I came back to visit a couple months later and, you know, the topic came up, one member of my family said, so you're going to have the surgery, you know, and that's, that's how people like to phrase that is you're going to have the surgery. And it's like, first of all, that just shows you how little, you know, because there's, you know, if I was going to have any surgery, there's multiple of them, mm-hmm. not just the, yeah. And they're almost always asking about what's in your pants, you know, like, can I get the dick? And I, I, I kind of like to shock people. So I don't mind sometimes answering that question, you know, no, keep in my vagina. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I just might not want to answer that because it's rude as shit. Yeah. So yeah. first I would have to definitely figure out if that person was genuine in wanting to know the question. And I, and I guess the second part would be, you know, first reiterate that this person can learn all this information on their own. Mm-hmm. The internet is out there for anyone who is truly curious about all of this stuff. I mean, again, I had to have the knowledge in the doctor's office with me before I could start my medical transition. Yeah. So if you really want to know a lot about it, you can also get your information online. But again, sometimes people need to hear from other people to get maybe even a more personal experience from it as well, which is why there's a lot of transgender like YouTubers, Instagrammers, TikTokers, uh, all the social medias and all that. There's a lot of information about us out there now. And there's a lot of great people that run those accounts that would love to answer your questions too. 
And Dorian, that's a great call out where it's like it is not transgender people's job to educate the rest of the world about transgender. It is no different than it's not black people's job to educate white people in their experience. Go educate yourself instead of asking those questions directly. Earn the right to ask those questions first. And I think that's what I'm hearing you say is earn the right. I didn't come out to you and say, hey, hey, Dorian, you want to be on a podcast? Let's, let's talk about this. You know, let's get nitty gritty in the top and bottom. I didn't come out and do that. I earned the right to ask more questions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's probably my advice to people. Earn the right. Genuinely be interested in knowing a person. This is humanity. Right. Get to know the person. Get to know their story, mm-hmm. their their experiences, their background. What makes them tick? Show just genuine interest in the individual. Mm-hmm. And through that, you will earn the right in the trust to understand that a little better if you want to understand that person's perspective because you hit the nail on the head there's tons of youtubers and tiktokers you you name it where they put their experience out mm-hmm. so you can go and educate yourself i i love that dory now if, you know the individual who is considering transitioning is sitting in front of you. What do you tell them? Oh, that's going to be a whole different story. First of all, I would probably start by letting them know that this is a safe space, you know, because I know that we hear that a lot nowadays, you know, safe spaces and all that. And that's kind of what people need nowadays is a safe space because one of the things in the transgender community is being stealth, right? So, Being stealth in the transgender community might mean that you have started maybe to medically transition and you're at a place now where you, you know, and I'm using air quotes, pass, which just means that the outside world sees you as the gender that you are presenting. You know, so I present as masculine, a good portion of the outside world, depending on what I'm wearing that day, sees me as masculine, addresses me by that without any real conscious thought, you know? Um, so that's passing. And being stealth would be someone who they they get up, get dressed, their body matches their, their soul, and they go to work or whatever it is that they do, and nobody knows anything about them. I mean, maybe maybe like their partner does, their family does, all that kind of stuff, but they live their daily life where nobody ask them, hey, are you trans? Because nobody knows. Nobody messes up on their pronouns or anything like that. Um, And they don't tell anyone, you know, and this person might sometimes have like all their documentation changed over to reflect their gender and um, which does make it a lot easier. So that, that is someone who is stealth. So when someone is, you know, maybe coming to me as being uh, transgender or wanting more information so that they could, you know, feel like maybe they want to do this. You tell them that this is a safe space because if that person wants to have this be not known to anybody else, you know, be just you, 
then you want to make them safe and comfortable in talking with you, to be open with you. So that way you can earn their trust, like we just said, so that you can ask them questions just as much as they're going to ask me questions. So that's that's always the big thing first is let them know that they can be safe with you. They can be open with you. They can be vulnerable with you. And you won't share that with anyone else in the world because this is this is a really tough decision. You know, you're going to have a lot of tough decisions in your life. And if you're honestly contemplating transitioning, whether it's medical or not, it takes a lot emotionally to even come out to yourself. For me, it was like breaking the fourth wall in a movie. You know, I had my life from A to B. And the minute my brain and my heart connected on like a cosmic level, everything shattered. You know, my world just shattered. And not in a bad way, you know, not not in a bad way at all. I just, I felt like a whole different person in that moment, you know? Not that you change who you are as a whole person necessarily, but like I felt like I was finally coming back into myself as if my entire life up until that point had been this whole disassociated journey, outer body experience. I wasn't in the body that I was in. And then finally I came rushing back into myself and I was finally breathing again, you know, but as myself, not as the person everyone else was trying to get me to be, was hoping that I would be, you know, just me. Mm. And when I, when I did that, told my partner instantly, and it was just amazing because she was like, okay, what do you want to do next? Mm. What are we doing next? Mm. That was, that's all it was. And I love her to pieces because she was the person that got me started on this journey in the first place, because she, I think ultimately this is going to sound sappy and cheesy, but I think she saw Dorian before anyone else did. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone else saw him. I just got goosebumps. I know I'm crying. I'm super crying right now, but she, she saw Dorian before anyone else did. It did not matter what my body looked like, what my face looked like, what my hair looked like or anything like that. What your name was or what you were presenting. None of that. Right. Really she saw my brain and my soul. She saw what I was willing to do to be with her and all these things. And yeah, she just saw me. So you know, she she didn't egg me into it or goad me into it or anything like that. She just gave me information when I asked questions. And she she helped me find the information that was out there. And she let me be vulnerable and open and all these things. And honestly, she's one of those people that like we're talking about right now, if you have someone who thinks that they might be transgender, might want to start transitioning in one way or another, She's the person that you would want right there in front of you just as much as, you know, another transgender person who has the personal experience. She's the person that you would want in front of you because with her, you're always safe, you know? So she she kind of, I guess, taught me how to be that person for other people as well as like the personal journey that I've been taking. So having, you know, a person in front of me saying all these things, asking me all these questions and whatnot... I would just tell them that they're loved, especially in the case that maybe they don't have anyone else that might love them if they came out as trans. And then just 
bombard them with information. Unfortunately, I just give them all the information they want. I like to answer people's questions. And so if someone has asked me a question, I like to answer it. Would you say community, find your tribe in your community is very critical? Oh, definitely. So I actually um, was the facilitator of a transgender resource support group here in this town for a little while, like a year or two. And basically there, there's a, a, a bigger support group with many tiny individual support groups and even a center and all that in a really big city in the state. And we're kind of like a tiny offshoot down here in this city. And so we only did the one big support group and we had resources available. You know, if you wanted to change your name in this county or this county or this county, we have, I say we, but I don't facilitate those meetings anymore. They have like the paperwork. They have a list of doctors in town who are happy to, you know, help you be your, your doctor for hormones and all that. They have a list of like surgeons who can do maybe this surgery or this surgery or this surgery, which P.S. I'm in super Southern New Mexico. There's not many. It's a very short list. We considered at one point having like a list that was hairdressers that are friendly, you know, that would listen to you Mm -hmm. because like, I cannot say this enough how there are so many hairdressers out there that you might be someone who unfortunately gets misgendered a lot for whatever reason or another. And you go to a hairdresser and they take you as someone who is, let's say female. And you might say, Oh, I want this really short haircut. It looks like this picture here. And the picture is like a cisgender male's hair and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes the hairdresser will give you like the feminine version of that haircut. And it's really hard. Cause you're like, dang, I really wanted like, not this. I wanted a tight fade. And then vice versa, you know, a lot of transgender women like to grow their hair out. And, you know, it gets really hard when you get to that like mid-length thing where it's like almost nothing looks good, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. But then they might walk into a salon wanting a certain thing and they don't get that certain thing. Yeah. You even got to find a hairdresser. You got to find maybe a barber, you know, that one's a little bit harder, unfortunately. But yeah, so the resource centers, your local resource centers, if you are fortunate to have one nearby you, might have, you know, like I said, all that paperwork that you might want to change your name to get started on therapy, find all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of what I did for a while there as the facilitator was not just facilitate our support group meetings, which kind of makes it sound more morbid than it really is, because sometimes it was just as much a celebration of your life as it was a sadness at transphobic people around you or ignorant people around you. We would also try to, you know, give resources to people. And my favorite part of every meeting was seeing a new person walk in the door and going over to them and being like, hi, I'm Dorian, who are you? And seeing everyone fill out their name tag, because we would always have like a name tag. So like, Mm -hmm. even if your license doesn't say the name that you would like it to on it or even the gender that you would like on it your name tag says whatever you want it to be yeah like one one little girl came and put stickers on it it was like boats and colored on hers and it was really cute so that's what i liked the most how old was the little girl um 11 i think 11 12 that's cool yeah it was an all ages thing kudos to those parents 
Hey, Femcanics. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. As many of you know, the Femcanic Garage podcast is normally around an hour long. Because this topic is so important, I wanted to give it the proper amount of time to explore it. I decided the best way to do this would be to break the interview up into two episodes. So the next episode will be part two of Dorian's story. Stay tuned in to ride along with me on this amazing journey with Dorian. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?